to Matthew chapter 23. One of the greatest needs that we have in our church, our country, our communities, our businesses, and especially our families, is the need for godly, competent, courageous leadership. Uh, We are experiencing, it seems, in this generation, a void. A void of leadership that understands integrity, courage, faith, what it looks like to walk in God, and we're paying the price. I mean, churches all across our country, uh, you look at our government, you look at businesses, corporations, and you look what's taking place with just the, the dissipation of the family as we've known it, and all of it cries out, there is a complete and utter lack of leadership. Now, let me just tell you, a failure to learn to lead well will lead to failure. And there's, you know, it's not like the information's not available. There's, God has actually given us everything we need for leadership in his word. And yet, we're coming to a situation where we're becoming biblically illiterate. We don't even actually know what is in his word, and we regularly even have a diet of it. And now what's kind of happened in American Christianity is, well, you're going to get the word on Sunday. But let me tell you, the shift in American, especially evangelical Christianity, no longer is even the word being spoken of. I mean, sure, you might have a miscellaneous Bible verse or two, but it's all about entertainment and cute stories. And so the people of God are being malnourished, and it's showing up in every respect, and we're paying the price. And Jesus, on his very last public discourse, he addresses this topic, the topic of leadership and life and the landmines that you can fall into. And so, you know, as we've been making our way to the Gospel of Matthew, I want you to know when you hit Matthew chapter 23, as far as public discourse, proclamation where he's addressing the masses, it's over after 23 And he covers a critical subject. If we miss this, it is, man, it's going to show up everywhere. And especially in our lives. And how many of us have not experienced the devastation of being under bad leadership? Whether it be in our homes, or in different churches, or our schools, or places of work, or even our government. And let me tell you, almost everyone in this room, you're in a position in the sphere of influence. You're leading someone. You're involved perhaps in an organization. Uh, Maybe you might be a leader in your school. Many of you, if you're a parent, you're a leader. You have responsibilities and you need to know how to learn to, you need to learn how to lead well. That's why Matthew chapter 23 ought to be a key text for you. Because he's going to outline these landmines in life and leadership. And if you should step into them, just like you step onto a landmine, it has the potential to maim you, disfigure you. It can even lead to your destruction for you and for others. And so when you come to Matthew chapter 23, Jesus has like this indictment against the Pharisees and the scribes. And after he basically he's turning to the crowd and he's warning them, don't you end up like this. And so we're going to start walking through in these next two weeks. We're going to be looking at 11 landmines in leadership and life. And so we're going to pick it up here, the very first one, if you're in Matthew chapter 23, beginning in verse 1, the very first landmine that you can step on that can cause widespread devastation is hypocrisy. 
Now, look at it. Matthew chapter 23, verse one. He's turned from the, he's on the temple mount. He's been talking to the Pharisees and scribes. They got all their questions for him. He's answered every single one. He asked them a question. They can't answer it. He shows that they're incompetent and that they actually do not understand the scriptures. And now he's going to give the warning. Don't end up like this. Chapter 23, verse one. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, his mafetes, those who are following him, includes us, saying, the scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Now, he's talking about the scribes and Pharisees. They're standing right there. These are two groups that are well known. Now, the scribes, these are like the lawyers. They actually study the word of God and they know it extremely well. The Pharisees were kind of like the theological, they under, like the ones that had the great theological understanding. And the Pharisees had this idea that in order to follow the law, we need to basically set up a whole other set of laws. They called these the traditions. And they wrote them down and they passed them down orally. And they basically put these huge burdens on people. Jesus is saying, woe to these people. And he talks about the Pharisees and the scribes. Now, there are about 6,000 Pharisees, we think, about this time. There's many others that kind of associate with the group, but there's about 6,000 are kind of full-fledged members of this group called the Pharisees. And Jesus says they've set the, seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Like, what? So Moses had a chair? What, is he, what, what are they talking about here? Well, the word chair, Greek word cathedra, we get our word cathedral from it. It's really the it's referred to the place, the seat of ecclesiastical hierarchy. So, for instance, like you hear, like there is a chair of history or chair of philosophy at the university. Do You know what that means? That is the most esteemed professorship in that department. It's the chair. So if you're saying like they were just sitting on some sort of chair, actually, it's kind of a figurative figurative speech. It's this it's the place of highest authority. For instance, in the Roman Catholic Church, when the pope speaks Ex cathedra, what he's doing is he is giving full ecclesiastical authority to his words when he speaks ex cathedra. Well, that's what the Pharisees and the scribes had done. They put themselves in the preeminent position. When they talk about the chair of Moses, Moses was seen to be the supreme spokesman for God. And to put themselves in his chair was to basically say that we are the ones who are uttering God's truth. It was tantamount to being God's most authoritative spokesperson. And the scribes and the Pharisees prided themselves by actually saying, this is us. We have the truth. and We've got the lock on it. In fact, we are seated in the utmost preeminent position. Jesus said to him, the scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses, but they got a huge problem. It's called hypocrisy. Look at verse 3. Therefore, all they tell you to do and observe all they all they tell you do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. And they tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. And what he's saying, listen, now they were conservative in their interpretation. And when they're speaking and covering the word of God, talking about the Old Testament and they're presenting it to the truth to you, listen up and follow through. However, they have a fundamental flaw in their leadership, and that is their talk does not reflect, is not reflected in their walk. They're great exhorters on truth, but they don't give you an example to follow. And so Jesus says, you know, when they're giving the word of God and they're speaking it, absolutely follow it. 
I mean, there is always a place and a position for people to be speaking the word of God. But the fundamental flaw of their leadership is that they had allowed hypocrisy to weave its way in. They said things, but in actuality, they didn't do them. And people can smell hypocrisy a long ways away. And that's just what they did. They loaded people up with such guilt. Not only they proclaimed the word, but remember they had all these traditions, oral traditions, all these regulations and rules, how far you could walk, what you could do, what you could wear, all how what you could say. I mean, they had all these regulations on people. It was like this huge, heavy burden. And when he talks about in verse four, they tie up these burdens. They put them on men's shoulders, but they they won't even use their finger like the weakest part of your body to to help you understand that. He's kind of making reference to what they would do with. It happens even today when these animals, these beasts of burdens, what they do is you, they loaded these animals up so much they can hardly walk. In fact, we got a picture of what this still happens today. Look at that. All right. Uh, there we are. Just another day at the market here. You see what I'm saying? This guy here on the right here, he's trying to figure out now what's wrong with this picture here. How come I can't get my donkey to move, you know? And see, what they would do is they'd load these people up with such enormous weights that they made the relationship with God a burden. People isn't like, I don't even want all, I don't even want this. If this is what it means, following all these rules and regulations and how far I can walk, I don't, I don't even want it. And they were incapacitated. Jesus says, this should never be. This is hypocrisy. The rules, the rituals, all the regulations that you put on them, that's not about me. I want people to experience life and grace. This is one of the fundamental reasons why they hated Jesus. See, the Pharisees and the scribes, they had all this, this real nice system. They were set up to be the authority. They were in the chair of Moses. They had people doing everything they wanted to, and they were able to just kind of perpetuate this guilt upon the people, and they, they wouldn't help them walk with God. In fact, they actually didn't understand that, according to the scriptures. But what happened is they just they were like these voices of condemnation. They were always down on the people, and they were wearing the folks out. And Jesus, on the other hand, He spoke with love and grace, and he spoke about what life with God really is like. Now, when we're talking about hypocrisy, you're going, okay, well, we probably don't do those things, right? We don't put heavy burdens. Let's think about this for a minute. For instance, as Christians, we believe that life is sacred, right? With me? We we hold to the sanctity of life. We do not think that a woman should abort and kill her unborn baby, right? I got a few folks. Okay. I'm like, which church am I at here? All right. Okay. We believe that. But do you? Do you really believe it? Would you come to a place where you would make a sacrifice to help that woman? And she's got that, that child that has Down syndrome. Her husband like, I don't want any of this. I'm going to go get a new life. Leaves her. Do we actually come alongside and help with the situation? Would we give of our finances or of our time? I mean, we just recently had a situation. CareNet came to our church and said, we need mentors for young women in trouble, but they want help. We've got them. We need help. We know Fellowship Bible Church is a church that values discipleship. And you do it. But do we step in? Like, oh, no, I'm not going to be inconvenienced. You see, it's real easy to, like, man, condemn people for not holding the positions that we hold to and not step in. It's the same sort of deal. We talk about racial reconciliation, not dividing. But do we? Has the South really recovered? What about in our churches? 
Or are we still segregated? Do we make it a point to, to reflect the love and the life of God in our relationships? How about, uh, let me talk about like your relationship with your kids. Do you put the burden on them so much that they feel like, oh, the Christian life is so heavy, I can't wait till I get to college because when I get there, I'll just do my own thing, right? Or do you come alongside and help them to understand what it looks like to walk with God and experience his life? What prayer looks like, what forgiveness looks like, what confession of sin looks like? Are you involved and are you in the game? Let me ask you, do you, do you believe sexual purity is important? There's a few of you, huh? Okay, a few of you do. Well, do you practice it? I mean, really, what's going on on your computer? What are you really watching? What are you listening to? Or have you gotten to a place where, yeah, I say these things, I espouse them when it's appropriate and correct, especially on Sunday morning. But when it comes down to Monday afternoon, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, I've, I've got a different agenda in which I follow. Jesus says, this sort of hypocrisy, it's hazardous. And I don't want you to live this way. You see, in order to avoid hypocrisy, you've got to establish already foundationally what you believe, your source of right and wrong, what is good and what is unacceptable. And but you have to live by it. And what we do in life is we explain to people what life and truth and ministry really look like. The Pharisees and the scribes, they didn't do that. And you know what? They missed this leadership principle. Our walk is to match our talk. Our walk is to match our talk. Anytime you find yourself putting on a mask to make yourself look good, spiritual, you know what you need to do? Confess it as sin, because that's what it is. God knows. He wants authenticity. We are to be real. That doesn't mean that we're to be perfect. We don't put on shows like, oh, I'm, I'm perfect. Actually, we're not. And everybody knows that. So stop pretending, okay? But we are to be genuine. Pharisees and scribes, they are loading people with these huge burdens on their shoulders. They're crushing them. Jesus says, don't do that. That's not real leadership. That's a landmine. Let me give you another landmine that Jesus is going to hit upon here in verses 5 through 10 in chapter 23. Focusing on your image. When it's just all about your image and the image that you're portraying, it's one of the big landmines in life. Listen to what Jesus said. He says, verse five, but they do all their deeds to be noticed by God. Uh, No, did you see that? By men, for they broaden their phylacteries and they lengthen the tassels of their garments. And you're like, what's that? Okay, well, what Jesus is doing, he's got them and they're standing right there in front of these phylactery. Okay, what these are, these like little little leather boxes and they put passages from Exodus and Deuteronomy in there and God actually spoke in like Deuteronomy and um, Exodus to actually to bind these words on your heart and let it be on your hand to have them on the forefront of your mind. But he was speaking not literally like you actually fasten the scriptures to your head and to your arm, but that you live by them to like like it talks about in Proverbs three to bind kindness and truth around your neck, that the scriptures, the word of God guides your th- thoughts, your heart, your actions, everything about you. Well, what they did is that the Pharisees actually took this and like, you know what, we're going to make this literal. And so they created these little boxes they called phylacteries and they put one on their forehead and they had a leather strap put it around their head and they put another on their arm. It was strapped on their left arm and it came right about underneath their elbow. And they would it started off. They would use this just at prayer. OK. And in fact, you can see Orthodox Jews today. Oh, we got a picture of one guy right here. He's doing that. You can see this scene in Israel. 
You just go to the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. And you got folks doing that. Orthodox Jews still do this. Well, the Pharisees go, you know, this makes us look really holy. And that's what we're all about. That's what a Pharisee is, a separatist, right? He separates himself from the unclean Jews and, of course, the heathen Gentile. You know what? We're going to wear these things 24-7. Every time we go in public, we're going to strap it on and we're going to strap it onto our head. I mean, come on. Walking around with a box on your head is going to get noticed, right? Try it. I mean, just do it. Go strap a little box in your head, walk around ATV, see if anybody notices. You're like, what? Whoa, what's going on? That's exactly what they were after. You see, they had made their God being noticed, recognition. And so they'd strap these on, and Jesus says, you know what? They do this to be noticed by men. And the lengthening of tassels, it's actually commanded, Numbers 15, to actually wear tassels on your garments, four of them, blue cord. Why? Because God wanted his people to remember that he is holy and to remember to follow his word. It's kind of like sometimes we put these little bands on our wrist, you know, like to pray for China or or whatever we're praying for. And we put it on there to remember that's what the tassels were to be for. But they were going, you know, that's a tassel. But they get out their little knitting kits and they'd make huge tassels and they did it all for show to be noticed. You see, they stepped on this huge landmine of focusing on their image, not on reality. And so Jesus says, you know what? They do all this with their length and the tassel of their garments. You know why they do this? They do it to be noticed by people. And he says, verse 6, they love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues. Okay, the place of honor. So the closer you could get to the host, the more honorable it be. And there are scenes like this where you see them literally kind of fighting to get to the top spots. They want to be right by the key guy. And Jesus says, you know what? This is all about image. This isn't about me. This isn't spiritual leadership. And then he says, verse 7, and they love the respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. You see, they were really caught up with titles. And what Jesus is addressing here, he's not, he's, he's condemning pride and pretense, not titles per se. But they were all about titles. And so they would love it when people would call them rabbi. And Jesus is saying, hey, listen, verse 8, but do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I know that the Pharisees and scribes, they like to set themselves up as kind of the key authorities. They love being called a rabbi. But Jesus says, there's one. I met. He just showed them as he's been going through, like in Matthew chapter 22, that he is the authority and the one rabbi. And he says, there's only one. Don't get all hung up on titles. He says, and you are all brothers. You are all fellow family members, only one learner. Jesus is setting himself up as the authority and the teacher. Do not try to usurp his place. He'll give another example. Verse 9. Do not call anyone on earth your father. Now, he's not saying that you can't call your, your biological dad your father or your stepdad your father. No, he's not saying that at all. What he is addressing is how they use father. He says, verse 9. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. You see, they like to use this title father, and especially the guys on the Sanhedrin, the ruling court in Jerusalem, in their official capacity, they loved it when the people called them father. They thought they took that esteem. They saw themselves kind of almost supplanting the lawgiver where they were kind of a recognized authority. And you actually see things like this even today in in, uh, some formal Protestant churches and especially in Roman Catholicism, calling people father or a couple variations of that, abbot or pope. 
All of those are derivations for a word that means father or papa. It's like, don't set yourself up as an authority as if you are God. And that, frankly, it creates a lot of confusion, especially in Roman Catholicism. You talk to some Roman Catholics and they actually feel like the Pope is Christ's representative here on earth. Where does that come from? This has been around for a long time. Jesus says, don't. There's one father, the father in heaven, and we give all of our esteem to him. Verse 10, do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, and that is Christ. And that word could be translated authority. Certainly there are spiritual leaders that it's written about in the New Testament. But what he's saying is don't set yourself as an authority where you are supplanting God, where people are looking to you as the source of truth. When you've got that going, when you're keep amping up your image where people are all of a sudden focusing not on God, not on Christ, but on following you, you've got the problem. You have stepped on a landmine called focusing on your image. And so he says, do not be called leaders for one is your leader. That is Christ. And so the landmine that he's addressing here is folks that are focusing on their image. Let me tell you how you overcome this. You focus more upon glorifying Christ than you do yourself. Remember what John the Baptist said in John 3.30? You might want to write this verse down. He must increase, but I must decrease. You know that you're sitting or you're around a godly leader, whether it be a parent or someone in the workplace or in your church, your Sunday school class, your fellowship leader, fellow family leader, when they're talking and more about Christ and glorifying him and less about themselves and who they are and how important they are. Now, it's really interesting. We're living in culture that what I'm talking about, like this is the antithesis of where we're going. Here's a recent study. In 2011, there was a paper by a team of psychologists from UCLA. This is very interesting. They, val- they looked at the values of characters in popular television shows starting back in the 60s. We got the Andy Griffith Show and Lucy Show. We got Laverne and Shirley and Happy Days in the 70s. And then they were also looking at American Idol and Hannah Montana from the past decade. And look at, listen just a little bit of what they found. You know, because TV shows, in some respects, they reflect the culture. But more and more, they actually are driving the culture. The TV is the number one influencer in America today. And so it's setting the values for our culture. Well, these these, uh, psychologists from UCLA are shocked at their findings. The number one value of recent popular TV shows for preteens was fame. In contrast, from all the previous year's studies, the number one value was community feeling or being a part of a group. In 2007... You remember community feeling was number one? In 2007, community feeling had dropped to 11th place. I mean, a huge fundamental shift of what people were seeking and what was being put in front of people. In 2007, the number two value uh, from 1997 had been benevolence of being kind to others and helping them. You know where that had been? You know, helping others? That's now dropped to number 13. It's, It's like way down there. It's hardly even important. And what's taking place is we're feeding narcissism. You see, kids today, they don't necessarily want to belong and they certainly don't want to help people because that's not the message they're getting when you watch Hannah Montana or Jonas L.A. Because you know what? It's about narcissism. It's about fame. It's about you being important. And if you buy into that trap, you are stepping on a huge landmine when it comes to life, life with God and leadership. And the idea is that you're only important if someone's noticing you. Jesus says that is fundamentally flawed. Let me give you this leadership principle. Spiritual leadership is about integrity and influence, not 
image. There's a third landmine that Jesus addresses. You find it in verses 11 and 12. Um, I've got marks on this in my Bible. This is huge. The third landmine that you can step in, and you'll pay a serious price. There'll be a lot of shrapnel going around when you do. It's pride. Verses 11 and 12. Listen to what Jesus says. But the greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Pride. There's just something about pride. I mean, we are attracted to it. And what happens is that pride becomes kind of like our little God. We actually, we're resting in our own laurels and our own ability for success instead of God. And what pride is, pride is the antithesis of servant leadership. It drives you in the opposite direction. Now, when he talks about being a servant, that doesn't mean that you just have to step into a servile position. Now, being a servant is freely giving yourself to meet the needs of others without expecting something in return. That's what it means to be a servanthood. You can be a high-level leader and still be a servant. When you are looking to advance the needs and, and help meet the needs of others, rather than just focusing on them, focusing on your needs. What happened, though, with the Pharisees and the scribes is that pride permeated their leadership. And as the case with pride, always it led to their destruction. You know what we need to overcome pride? And this is something that we all face. Me, especially. Brokenness before the king leads to fruitfulness in life. There's something about us that thinks that we're important and that we got it figured out. And it's all about us getting on your knees, humility before God, brokenness before the king leads to fruitfulness in life. Servanthood is not about position or skill. Do you know what it is? It's an attitude. It is the attitude that you take in your home, at work, at church, whether if you're in the government and you got a position of authority, it is the attitude you take. It's not about your position or about your skill. And what does it mean to embody servanthood? What does this really look like? Well, let me just tell you two things. A true servant leader puts others' needs before their own. They put another's agenda before their own. Okay? They actually care about the people. And the other, let me give you the second aspect of this kind of servant leadership. Not only do you put others ahead of your own agenda, but you possess a confidence to serve. If you show me someone who thinks he is too important to serve, I'm going to show you someone who is basically insecure. If they won't serve, they feel like, ah, come on, someone else can do that. Come on, it's me. I, I'm not doing that sort of stuff. I'll only do this. When you when you got someone like that, you're looking at a guy who's using, or a gal, who's using their arrogance to try to mask their insecurities. And Jesus is saying, let me tell you what real leadership looks like. It looks like a servant. Now, let me show you, tell you where this really comes into play, like in your parenting. Now, I'm going to tell you something that's been really helpful for me. There's all sorts of situations that come into our life, okay, especially in family, but also this applies to business or your work environment. And they can be frustrating to you, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? No, of course, they all do, right? You live this. Trying to, using these two words are really helpful. Is this situation an obstacle to my happiness or what I want, or is this an opportunity 
for another person's growth and my growth. By actually working through that, because we all basically have this idol of pride uh, of, uh, and kind of pride of life. where We want everything perfect and to go our way. And it's all about our happiness. Like life should be perpetually like living in a resort. We kind of we never go public on that, but we kind of think it should be that way. And so we're perpetually frustrated. And the, all these things are getting in our way of living in a paradise on this earth. And so asking yourself this question, is this really an obstacle to my happiness or is this an opportunity? You're going to find that the things that are obstacles are actually opportunities. And so let me just tell you this leadership principle. We lead by serving and we serve by leading. We lead by serving and we serve by leading. When you lead well, when you actually care about the people that are under your influence, that you're working with, your family members, the people in your church, when you actually care, you love them. You will lead well because it's not about you. you. You've been able to overcome pride because you're yielded to Christ and you're able to serve well. And until we break pride in your life, you are basically going to have a very small sphere of influence and you're going to be a pretty unhappy person. If that describes you today, then you probably have stepped in the landmine of pride. And the leadership principle we learn from this We lead by serving and we serve by leading. Let me give you a fourth one here. We're going to knock out two more here. Verse 13 gives us this fourth landmine, and that is blocking the way rather than leading the way. Look at verse 13. Jesus is going to begin a series of woes. Uh, It's either seven or eight if you count verse 14, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. These woes are like literally, watch out. You are in a terrible, miserable situation. It's Jesus is speaking just like the Old Testament prophet saying, you have missed it and you are about to face some serious judgment. And so he says, verse 13, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, mask wearers, you feigned like you got it all figured out, but you don't because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people for you do not enter it in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. And what he's talking about here is that the Pharisees and scribes, they were serving as roadblocks to people actually experiencing relationship with God. They had set themselves up in authority, but it was all about them. They weren't about leading the way. They actually were blocking the way and their hypocrisy had taken over. Not only were they not on the path, the people that were trying to walk with God and honor God, looking at their authorities, rightfully you'd like to look to, right? They didn't know. And they were blocking the way. And Jesus says, whoa, I take this real seriously. If you are in a position of influence, Jesus takes leadership seriously. That is why his last public discourse, that's why he's talking about it. You better know the way to go. And furthermore, you better be on the path. Because Jesus says, not only are you not on the path, uh, you, don't, you don't know the way and you're blocking the way for others. In our leadership, in our home, In our church, in our community, we've got to know the way. And what is the way? What is the way? The way is Jesus. John 46, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. At Fellowship Bible Church, we absolutely want every single person to be utterly clear. What is the way to life? How do you experience life and relationship with God? That is found in Christ. That is why our mission statement is totally clear. It's about glorifying God and living out the life we have in Christ. 
Christianity is a relationship where you're united with Jesus Christ. And it's through this relationship of growing deep and reaching out, which is our vision, that we experience and demonstrate a love for God, investing in others, following his word, engaging our world. That is the path. It is sourced in our relationship with Christ. It's not rules, rituals, routines. It's Jesus Christ and relationship with him. These folks didn't understand anything like that, and Jesus called them on it. Let me tell you the leadership principle we can learn from this. Leaders show the way because they are on the way. If you are a spiritual leader, you show the way because you know the way because you are on it. You live it. Which leads us to uh, the fifth landmine. You step on this one, uh, it's going to create major devastation, and that is self-centeredness. Now, some of you don't have a verse 14 in your Bible. Some of you do, and it's in brackets. Uh, Some of the early manuscripts of Matthew do not have this in it. Uh, Many of them do, but some do not. Uh, We do know that Jesus said this. This is actually recorded in Mark chapter 12, verse 40, and so perhaps a scribe entered it. I, I, I feel like... This is an important, very important verse. I'd like to cover it. And I want to tell you, it covers and addresses the issue of self-centeredness. Listen to what is said here. Verse 14. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers, therefore you will receive greater condemnation. And the landmine that he's talking about here is self-centeredness. You see, These Pharisees and the scribes, they saw people only for their advantage. They were that self-centered, and they took advantage of the weak and the helpless. There's a couple categories of people you do not mess with in scriptures. Widows and children. And what they did is these people were taking full advantage of these widows. They would try to take advantage of their property. They might assess them all sorts of taxes. They would mislead them so that they could take over their fortunes or whatever assets they had left. And then, of course, what they do is they mask themselves as being all holy and super religious. And they would then utter these really long prayers. Jesus isn't against long prayers. He's against the motive that you do so for a show to take advantage of other people. And these sort of things happen even in our day. I mean, there's some folks that are on TV and other places. They've, they've amassed somewhat of an empire of finances, taking advantage of people. And Jesus says that kind of self-centeredness, I am totally against it. Whoa, it will be judged. You see, leadership is not about what others can do for you. It's about what you can do for others. Let me give you an example of what this looks like. During the Persian Gulf War, America became um, pretty familiar with a guy by the name of General H. Norman Schwarzkopf. You remember that guy? And we were fascinated by this guy because of his leadership. Let me just tell you a little bit about Schwarzkopf. In the the Army, his leadership all gets started back in his West Point days. In Vietnam, he got assigned to a battalion that was in shambles. He was... He was assigned the 1st Battalion of the 6th Infantry. The 1st Battalion was known as the worst of the 6th. It was terrible. It was somewhat of a laughingstock. Schwarzkopf got put in charge of it. And so he turned that outfit around. He boosted morale. He taught these men how to be soldiers. They got to be so good, they got assigned to a very difficult mission. And that mission was, uh, was to go to a place that he described as a horrible, malignant place, the Batangan Peninsula. This place was just filled with landmines and booby traps. 
And Schwarzkopf took his men and he trained them so there'd be far fewer casualties because they were going to go in a very difficult place. And he personally, every time one of his guys stepped on one of those landmines, he personally and his chopper would go and rescue that guy and oversee it. And then when he was there, he would go and talk to the troops and boost morale. Well, on, on May 20, 28, 1970, there was a man that was injured by a mine. And they went out and they rescued this guy. And one of the rescuers stepped on another landmine, totally ripped up his leg. And the guy starts languishing and screaming and flailing all around on the ground. And they suddenly realized that they were standing in the midst of a minefield. And Schwarzkopf knew he, this guy could survive. He might even be able to keep his leg. But he had to stop flailing around. And so let me tell you what a leader looks like. You step in. It's not about them, what they can do for you. It's about what you can do for them. And so Schwarzkopf even writes, I started through the minefield one slow step at a time, staring at the ground, looking for the telltale bumps or little prongs sticking up from the dirt. My knees were shaking so hard that each time I took a step, I had to grab my leg and steady it with both hands before I could take another. It seemed like a thousand years before I reached the kid. Schwarzkopf, 240 pounds, he was a wrestler at West Point. He wrestled this guy and got him to stop flailing around. And then with a team of engineers, they rescued him. You hear that and you go, that's courage. That's valor. Now, let me tell you what this is. That is servant leadership. That's what it looks like. Servant leadership looks like you initiate with others. You don't just wait around and react. You are proactive. You initiate with others and you serve out of love. There is something in your heart that actually cares about people. And until that takes place, you are not in a position of spiritual leadership. Leadership principle number five I'll give you. Leadership is about what you can do for others, not what they can do for you. Now, we've gone through this. How many of you feel like, great, batting a thousand here? None of us. I'll tell you, these have been hard to study these last few weeks. I do a lot of internal processing and prayer. These are real deals. And why is Jesus speaking of all these things? Because he is intending to draw us to himself. You see, failures in life are meant to bring us to faith in Christ. Are you a failure? Yes. Am I? Completely? I need Christ. You see, our failures in life are meant to drive us to trust and put our faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus will end this chapter in verse 37. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were unwilling. Let me just ask you, are you willing to come to him? Friends, these are landmines in life and leadership. Step on them, create a lot of damage. Let me tell you, Jesus forgives, he heals, he restores, and he takes out of nothing, he makes something because of his power. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for just an amazing passage of the scriptures that teaches us what real leadership and what life really was intended to be. So guide us, Lord, and and guard us. Give us deep-seated convictions. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.